Yeah, I think it, yeah, we're, it's done. I mean, Trump's got his COVID rallies going again, so we're all doomed. Andy's got his fun town hall scheduled the exact same time as Joe Biden's town hall, because NBC gave it to him, so. Ugh. Extra fun. <laughs> I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. <laughs> and this is Pump Up the Minute. Today we're looking at minutes 65 to 68 of Pump Up the Volume, which in the script would begin with a disappointment montage as uh, Mark doesn't go on the air, we get shots of Maz starts singing. Everybody knows. Uh, Donald is hanging out in his room with Joey, because they're friends now. Uh, we see Alyssa and Brenda and their new friend Penny, which we saw this trio in last night's show when they were dancing. We see Cheryl is sitting around with Dick and Tracy, her parents, who seem quite supportive, which is nice. That's not in the movie. And Nora sitting alone in her car before she heads off to go find Mark. Instead... We have Nora has just left the field to go find Mark, and Maz is walking over to the keg as this segment begins, with Janie and Jamie are there, Joey's around, uh, Donald or not Donald, one of them is there, I think it's not Donald, he's older, and Paige is there, but we'll see her later. And we start this segment with Nora walking, kind of in silhouette, walking in through the street. She's got a bunch of posters in her hands, but we didn't see her grab those. We also didn't see them get put up. Uh, the script confirms these are posters she took off of the bulletin board. And then we see Paige is leaning on the car in the out in the field. She's not mingling with people yet, but she's there. So she's not quite part of the audience just yet. And then we cut, we see Nora walking, and then we cut to Mark lit by fire. It's kind of a quiet little first minute for this segment. Uh, as Well, not quiet. We still hear Peter Murphy's uh, song. That we talked about a little bit last time. And then we get, uh, Nora walks up behind Mark. He is burning papers on the barbecue right outside the glass doors of his room. And squirting lighter fluid after each one. Just to make them burn a little faster. And Nora says hi. And I, I thought it was really funny because she says hi really casually. He said they're burning things. She's like, hi. And then she says, what are you doing? As he adds another one and sprays some more fluid. And then she realizes what he's burning and says, those are your letters? You having fun? He nods, and he says yes, or yeah, and he adds some more to the fire, and as he adds the last one, he actually glances at Nora before he walks inside. She follows him in. Nothing very exciting here, so I'm just describing it, you know. Uh, She tells him, here, I collected some of these off the wall for you. I mistakenly thought you might want them. He does look at the posters for a moment before dropping them. We don't know where he drops them at first, but we can see from what he does after. He drops them into the trash. Because then he starts cleaning up his desk and throwing other stuff there as well. And he he does say thanks. She says, so I guess you're not going on tonight. He says, brilliant. Very nice. That's what Nora says. Is this all just a game to you? You know, you can't just shout fire in a theater and then walk out. You have responsibility to the people who believe in you. Now, in the musical, I mentioned it before, but this is when Nora sings You Are the Voice, which you can find on YouTube. It's one of the couple songs you can actually hear. Which is essentially her singing about Mark is the voice that all of them need, rather you than, you know, herself, which I'll get back to in a little bit. And it's all about him. And she says, what is this? Come on, say something. Say anything. Open your mouth and say, get the hell out of here, bitch. And Mark says, I can't. You can't what? I can't talk. 
Sure you can talk. And he turns around and says, I can't talk to you. I was telling you yesterday that this is the, this is the moment when, what was this? This is 1990, right? Yes. So I'm 14 when I see this movie. Just started, what, seventh grade? No, 14. You would have been like in ninth Ninth grade. grade. Especially because you were young. You started ninth grade. Yeah. Yeah. Or 14. You would have been, you would have been 13 when you started ninth grade because you were so young. This would have been almost 10th grade. 10th grade. Yeah. (laughs) You're right. Just starting 10th grade. Um, so that means I, oh, that was the summer I had just gotten, did I just get glasses? Or again, the next summer? I don't know. Anyway, I was a, you know, fat, nerdy, loner kid. I had a few friends because it was a small school, but, and I knew lots of people. But yeah, in this moment, I kind of connected with Mark at the time because I felt that same way. Like I could never talk to the people I wanted to talk to. But also I'm going to have some problematic things with Mark and Nora on this segment too. But. This segment was always one that kind of worked worked for me in from when I first saw it. I feel like this would have been the audience for the film would have been yeah. people like it. Just considering whose story is being told and even all the music that's in the film would have been appealing to <laughs> like it's, a young teen male audience, yes, but also appealing audi- to a young teen girl audience, yes. um, largely because of Christian Slater. Mm-hmm. And and they like this idea of him being shy and like I assume the female audience would find that like appealing in a way because he's not really hard hairy who's kind of an ass he's re- on the inside he's he, you know he's got a soft center yeah it's a pretty common teen but like to get a teen girl to be attracted to a character make him be on the one side like so hard and aggressive and and rebellious and also. Not very good communicator, but just waiting for that one girl who's going to bring that all out of you and just bring out that sensitive side of you to like be that Nora who's just going to like have him expose that (laughs) all of those inner feelings he's been hiding that whole time. And yeah, that's very much a (laughs) like teen girl thing. And Nora at this point, her only role, at least to me as I view it, is to show us Mark through someone who knows who Mark is, or has a different idea of who Mark is. Yeah. So everything that she's done up until this point is only like a lens into Mark. And it's odd. It's like, I don't know if it's just me, but by this point in the film, since we're more than two thirds of the way through, I would have wanted to see at least some indication that maybe... They liked each other. There was flirtation. Like, I realized that Mark's character, he wasn't able to say anything or do anything. But all of their interactions at this point have been him being hostile to her with her being almost in stalker territory. Like, Mm -hmm. she keeps showing up and he's not really giving her anything. So it just kind of rings weird. Like, it feels like there should have at least been maybe one or two moments or something that would indicate, like... I wonder if it would have worked better if she had come to his house already. Yeah. That scene that was in the script where she had come one, one other time when he was late getting on the air. I don't know. But yeah, it, it, there's not much he's been giving her. He's either quiet or somewhat hostile. So then Mark turns around, sits down, and we get some close up shots as he flicks on, uh, his radio signal, which since I like to notice the mistakes, this shot of someone turning on the switch was shot at the same time as the someone's turning on the switch in minute 11. 
because the action figures are in the exact same position they were, and it isn't standing like they're on display. Yeah. It's like they just throw them there. And the same shot when he turns it off in a moment. It's that same thing. Um, so we get a shot of the light turning on up above with the middle finger on it. We see a new stack of tapes, which unfortunately kind of blurry, so you can't read most of them. They include NRBQ, uh, the Cure Disintegration, the Descendants tape, which we've talked about before, and can't read much else. So the Cure's Disintegration tape was released in May of 1989. I love how much new, like they have such new mm-hmm. contemporary yeah, <laughs> music in this film. And I'm wondering if that was a reason people loved it so much too, like just... <laughs> well, yeah, the soundtrack to this movie was... Like, there were songs on it that didn't get released yet. Yeah. So, yeah, it and, was nice. And Robert Smith of The Cure, talking about this album, said that he felt a lot of pressure to keep up with their newfound pop stardom of the late 80s, and this led to him returning to using a lot of hallucinogens again, which mm. he'd been off of um for a while. He said he was also depressed writing this album about turning 30. That's so yeah. old in rock years. <laughs> And he didn't want to, he didn't want the cure to turn into some like stadium arena rock (laughs) (laughs) band. And so he wrote this album, which had a lot of, um, dark lyrics, pretty gothic, more like the early eighties cure stuff. It was very well received. Rolling Stones actually has this as their number 116 album of all time. And it was, Went number three in the UK and number 12 in the US, so it was still a pretty big commercial hit for them. I like the lyrics because they're fitting with what's going on in the scene. For what? It says, song? from Disintegration, the song. Oh, okay. says, but I never said I would stay to the end. I knew I would leave you and famous and everything, screaming like this in the hope of sincerity, screaming it's over and over and over. Hmm. And just, it brought up a question too, like, what responsibility does Mark have to his audience at this point with that? <laughs> yeah. Like, do you, if you get on the, the air and listen to people's stories and share private parts of people's lives and talk to them, like, do you have a responsibility at that point to, to your, your audience? And Mark hasn't promised his audience anything, but he's clearly started a pretty big, at least for that town, social movement. So yeah, I think, I think my view on that would be, if he goes back on the air now, he started, mm-hmm. he is accepting responsibility for his audience. Yeah. And that's the decision that he's making at this point in the scene. I, I would, do that I would point out that from disintegration does include the song love song, which yes. was the cures only top 10 hit on the billboard hot 100. It hit number, uh, number two is on that album. Yeah. So I definitely need to go back and revisit. That album, listen to the whole thing. Yeah. I feel like it'd be great. <laughs> and then we have, as you mentioned, NRBQ and NRBQ's Wild Weekend. Well, Wild Weekend was an instrumental from 1962 that actually charted number 22. Hmm. Um, there aren't many instrumentals, but there were a few more back then. There was another instrumental song we talked yeah. about earlier in one of our earlier episodes, and Wild Weekend was written by Phil Todaro and Tom Shannon. It was performed by the Rockin' Rebels. And, yeah, it was number 22 for the whole top 100 singles of 1963, but it reached number 8 on the U.S. chart. 
Um, NRBQ released a version of this song as a single again in 1989 yeah. with lyrics entitled It's a Wild Weekend. NRBQ's version didn't chart. However, a um, couple interesting things because I'd never heard of NRBQ no. before. And they'd actually been playing since 1965. They're an older band as well. And in 1989, they opened for REM's acronym tour. Huh. And... Just a few lyrics from Wild Weekend is tired waiting for the weekend. It's getting harder as the days go by because every boy needs a girl at night. It makes him feel all right. And we're also going to transition into the scene where we actually get development with Mark and Nora. So, yeah, I like that the two songs and albums relate well to what's going on in the plot. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know how much of this is me just liking to read into things or that they did an excellent job with getting music for this film. It it would be awesome if they had like a music director who was there rearranging the cassette tapes for whenever they were being shot. Because there are a lot of tapes on this desk. We see them from the back and there's multiple stacks. Now, before we get to Mark's letter, uh, we get a shot of his fans out in the field. Which Joey, Maz, and not Donald, or Donald, I can't tell, I don't know which is which, because they're never together, are in the back of the truck that has the speakers. Janie is leaning next to the truck and is weirdly tall in this shot. Mm. It's like they gave her something to stand on to make sure she'd be in the shot. (laughs) I was like, why is she so much taller than the girl next to her? It was really weird. But the radio comes on, and Mark begins, and... We were talking about this yesterday where the tonally he doesn't sound like Harry here. Yes. I mean, they're hearing the voice change, of course, on the radio, but he he's essentially, this is Mark just got on the radio. He didn't start with music and he just sits down and he's talking about himself. Yeah, this is the first time that you get Mark as Mark where it no longer seems like he's trying to play a character and he's finally going to open up. Yeah. And he says, I got a letter from this guy who has this problem. He can't talk. I mean, he can talk, but never when he wants to, not to girls, not to people. <laughs> girls aren't people. <laughs> That's what I put in my notes. My, like, girls aren't people? Yeah. And I said, that explains this bit from the script. Because as he's talking, it says, on the air, facing away from Nora, Mark immediately regains his blurting verbal agility. Which in the film, he doesn't. He, no. He's very sedate. Nora begins to understand. She moves back to empower him further. <laughs> That's entirely how they've written Nora for yes. this whole film. Like I said, it's just to give us a lens into Mark and just to empower Mark. In the film, I thought it actually worked as a good visual, is that she is directly behind him, blurry, and it's almost like she's part of him, which I think works as a more positive version of that. But yeah, then she steps out of frame, and I'm like, oh, they kind of went for the thing from the script. And I know... It's not Nora's story, but I'm interested in her. Why do we never see her parents? What made her interested in socially progressive art? Why is it all over her walls? Why is she so intent on, I don't know, making... Why does she wear that turtle necklace so much? Yeah. Why does she own so many hats? I don't know anything about her. (laughs) Yeah, emo girl with a turtle necklace who owns a lot of hats, but never wears one. And earlier... In the film, I think there's just a writing problem or doesn't line up well. Because earlier he says he can't talk to girls here. 
And it makes it seem like when he was in his old city, everything was fine. And yeah. it was coming here that just ruined everything. But I, I don't know. It's like the characterization of him prior is off or... Yeah, it is weird that he'd be able to talk to girls in New York. Yeah, but, but not, not ones in like, small town <laughs> Arizona. I, at best, like in, in defense of Mark, it might be more, he knew those girls from when he was little, but if he was in, if they were in New York City, he probably went to a really big school. Yeah. And he didn't. I'm thinking about like my school, you know, mm. I could talk to people because there were very few of us. <laughs> I would mention some lyrics from mm. You're the Voice. Because they have an interesting sense of Nora. It says, but now, now that the skies are black, you want to turn your back, say it's a sign. Yes, now, now that it's something real, and you don't know how to feel, you lose your spine. But no, I can't allow you to, not when the gods gave you what should be mine. So. And what did the gods give him? Simply being male. <laughs> Simply being <laughs> born with a penis. <laughs> that puts a whole other thing on Nora's character, actually. Which I'll clarify, that. male and penis aren't always synonymous, but... It yeah. seems like that's what she's implying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Because the whole point of the end of the movie is she could have gone on the air too and mm-hmm. been fine. But I guess it's just a white male audacity that the gods gave him. Uh So then we cut to the entryway of the house as Marla and Brian get home. And Marla says, what they say around FM 92? She immediately goes to the radio to turn it on. Brian says, yeah, I can't believe it's as bad as they say. And in the script... Keith doesn't recognize Mark's voice, it says. But Marta recognizes something immediately. She frowns, not certain. And Marta says, Keith, come downstairs with me. So she's still on to this being Mark. And meanwhile, Mark continues. He just opened up his mouth and nothing came out. And then this jerk finds somebody somebody that he likes, which is probably the worst thing that can happen to a person who can't talk. So, I mean, I don't know what to tell this guy because lately every time I give out advice, the fit hits the shan. So I don't know. Maybe the best thing to do is just turn around, face the music, and try to talk. This is the moment in the film where Nora steps out of frame, and then when he does turn around, she's not there. Yeah. Why does she leave? Don't know. Yeah. I'm guessing when they were directing the shot, like, she was supposed to hear the parents coming down before they say something. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, she... That would be the only reason she'd really leave. But it, hearing but that's coming. not it. In the script, it says yeah. he turns around to do this. Yeah. And she's gone. And he kind of likes, like, he smiles. He thinks he thinks that's great. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I get that. Yeah. It, it would have been better if, like, she heard the parents coming and disappeared. But that's when we hear Marla saying Mark, which I would point out that depending on his mic, his name just went out over the air. Yeah. That's a good point. So he's screwed. The, yeah. <laughs> they can narrow this shit down really fast. Yeah. And... And Mark says, uh, fuck, damn it, as he grabs the mic stand, moves it over. In the script, they're not specific on how he's going to hide things. But in the movie, he moves the mic stand over next to amps and a guitar, which is nice. And he's also got a keyboard, which he uses to disguise stuff. Basically, he's got an interest in music that we never really see in the film, but in playing music. And so that gives him reason to have a mic stand and all the other equipment. Yeah, music's clearly a big part in all of... Well, Mark and his parents' lives, mm-hmm. because we see the guitar in the Grateful Dead and all the posters in his father's room. His mother was what a ballerina, yeah. which dance, but obviously that's music as mm-hmm. well. And then Mark's room. Yeah, where's their movie? Yeah. Like this rebel teenager who gets together with like the ballerina. And then right as she's excited by him being a rebel, he turns 
into the man. It's not right. And then Mark says, coming. We see a shot of Marla and Brian outside the door, confirming the continuity error from minute 11 that yeah. this door is not the door upstairs because they are at the bottom of the stairs. Um, Mark says, yeah, just give me a second here as he shuts off one switch, shuts off another. The light goes out. He says, two seconds as he puts a small little table thing over a bunch of his stuff and sets the keyboard on it. He scatters some clothes to hide things. And Mark, uh, Brian gets a little upset and says, Mark, unlock the door. And he knocks and Marla says, Mark, can you hear us? Which obviously he can't because he's answering. He says, yes, yes. We want to come in for a minute, Marla says. And Brian says, we know you're in there. Open the goddamn door. And the last thing Mark puts in place is a poster on a board over, I don't know what, it's a large piece of electronic equipment. <laughs> and on that poster, it, apparently it's a classic 80s poster that I couldn't figure out who made it. But I could find references to it a lot where it says, if it's too loud, you're too old. <laughs> and has a guy with like his hair standing up and kind of freaking out. As Mark says, open, uh, on my way. And then he says, hi, I see you unlocks the door. <laughs> and Brian immediately like kind of storms in, says, your mother and I have been out there for five minutes. What the hell are you doing in here? And he looks around at the equipment and stuff on the table. He's checking yeah. to see if this stuff's on, if it's been used recently. <laughs> so throwing the clothes on it was actually a pretty good move. And Mark says, I was just reading. Now, in the script, he actually sits on the couch and grabs the guitar as if he was playing music. And Marla says, oh, come on, Mark. We heard you. We heard you talking all right. And in the script, it says that she is almost weeping. Like, in this moment, she is sure she is hard-headed. Yeah. And Mark sits down out of frame on the couch and says, uh, and he says, yeah, I, I was I was reading aloud. Brian says, oh, come on. Marla says, oh, Mark. And Brian says, do you really expect us to believe that? And Mark says, okay, I'll tell you the truth. And that's when Nora pops up from behind the couch and says he was talking to me. So she saves him. Yeah, which is also kind of weird. Like, did she just go behind the couch when he started opening up to her that, and then know the right way to that's just why back I, it? It's so weird. That's why I assume she heard the parents coming. Yeah. And it was like the option is go back to the glass doors and open yeah. them and go outside, drawing attention to the barbecue where there's probably still flames, or hide. And she hit. I don't know. The frame, the, the way it works in the film is a little awkward. But she pops up, but then it's great because we get a shot of the parents completely silent, just like shocked. And she climbs over the couch and she says, <laughs> hi, I'm Nora De Niro. <laughs> so she's pretty funny. And she says, nice to meet you. Marla says, oh, hello. Brian says, oh, hi. And Marla says, how do you do? And Mark has gotten up as this conversation is going. He's standing by his mother. And as Nora says, I was afraid you, this segment cuts off, so we'll hear the rest of that conversation next time. So, yeah, it's it's Nora being both her problematic, supportive girl role and being funny. Just climbing over the couch is hilarious because she could have just walked around it. Yeah, she's funny. And she has no problem talking to anybody, to anybody. which I think yeah. is also like the contrast with Mark, mm-hmm. that you need the character who's just going to be not afraid to say what she's thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now, my segue of what to promote today is a little weird because we talked about Robert Smith and The Cure. In 1988 or 89, when he was feeling depressed and getting ready to do the new album and realizing he was getting older, he moved to Maida Vale, London, a, a little suburb. And Maida Vale is a major part, if you've seen it, of About Time. So I'm going to mention Two Minutes About Time today, a show I do with Luke Allen, my co-host, looking at About Time, Richard Curtis rom-com. And that show actually ends next week at the time of this recording. So you got lots of episodes to catch up on. 
And you can listen to more music and social commentary on Life as a Playlist and follow Life as a Playlist on all my social media accounts. Speak out! They can't stop you! Find your voice and use it! Keep this thing going! Pick a name! Go on the air! Your life! Take charge of it! Do it! Try it! Try anything! Fill your guts out! Say shit and fuck a million times if you want to, but you decide! Fill the air! Steal it! Keep the air alive! Follow this show at Pump Up a Minute on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or check lemmingdrops.com for links. Talk hard! Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's how it Everybody knows, everybody knows, that's how it goes, everybody